and you may be seated. If any of the children want to go out for children's time, Sheila's ready to meet you and she's going to have something right here. So kids, come on down here. Good morning, guys. How are y'all doing this morning? I was going to ask you this morning um, if you've been doing anything fun with your family this summer. And I wanted to know what you think of when you think of the word family. What kind of fun things do you do with your family? Can anybody tell me? Nobody does anything. What do you do, Merritt? Swim. Okay. Jacob? Okay, you built a chicken coop. That's unusual. All right. <laughs> and awesome, awesome, let me tell you. Miller, you go out on a boat together, okay? Anna Kate? A drag race. That sounds exciting. Okay, go out on the boat when it's not broken. One more thing, Jacob? What's that? Church. Okay, you go to church with your family. That's awesome. Well, summer is a time filled with lots of opportunities to do things with our family. What do you like to do, Mika? Go on a hike. That's awesome. It's wonderful to get outside and go on a hike. Well, this morning we're thinking about family, and I wanted you to think for just a minute about what a family is. And when we think of a family, we might think of just the definition of the word family that you might find in the dictionary. And it says that it's parents and children living together in the same household. So that's one definition. But when we think about family, we can think about a lot more than that, can't we? Because we don't just have our, our parent that we live with or our grandparent that we live with or that one group that lives in our same house. We might have family that includes cousins and aunts and uncles and other people that live in other places. And I know sometimes we even travel long distances to see that family. Well, this morning, I want to remind you of another very important kind of family, and that is our church family. That is our family that comes together because we all believe in Jesus Christ. And we come to church, and we're united by his love and his grace, and by the salvation we receive in Jesus Christ, and we become part of God's family. Now, this morning, as we come together, we have a, a whole lot of people in the sanctuary. Have you? Can you believe how many people here? It's wonderful, isn't it? We have both of our worship services, our church family that goes to our early service, and our church family that goes to this service are joined together as one family, one worship service, to praise God and and thank him for all of the things that we've been given. We love each other as part of the family of God. We help each other. We care for one another when we're sick. We celebrate our joys and all of our happiness together. So it's very important as we think about the family of God to think about all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, Jesus one day when he'd been preaching and he was gathered at a house with a lot of people, someone came to him and said, your brothers, your sisters and mother are looking for you. And do you know what Jesus said? He looked around at the people that he was preaching to and he said, 
here are my brothers and sisters and my mother. Here, right here in front of me. So he thought of the people and he loved the people so much that he was teaching and preaching about God that he called them his brothers and sisters too. And we do the same thing. There's a song called The Family of God. And it goes, I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family of God. This morning, we gather, and after church, we're going to have a luncheon, and we're going to be saying farewell to Harvey and Lana. And we are going to be thanking them for all of the time that they have spent with us as part of our church family. But even as they go, we're not saying goodbye. We're saying fare thee well, and we know that we will see them again and that we will always love them because they're part of our family. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our family, for all of the joys and celebrations, for the sadness, for the heartache that we share together, for the help and strength that we can find in family. Help us to be a family of God, a community of believers that follows Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, boys and girls, if you will meet me at the door, I will come right there. And we are going to be in room 108 today. So immediately following the worship service this morning, parents can pick their children up in room 108. And we will be singing and uh, providing a presentation at the luncheon today. Thank you.
Thank y'all. As the children were coming up for children's time, Merritt Norris, she uh, handed me something. It was all wadded up. I unfolded it. Uh, she stole one of the offering envelopes, by the way, Brad and Cindy just uh but she drew a picture on the inside, and I think it's a picture of me. I, I, I did not know my ears were that big. Uh, and one eye, is, one eye is higher than the other one, so I, we may need to get Dr. Ben Carr to psychoanalyze this. Ben, if you would, look at this. No, that's one of those treasures I'll keep. I talked about memories the other day, so that'll, that'll go in my, my memory slot. This morning I'm going to talk about God's call on your life. That's the title of the sermon. I um, also want to share a song with you. And by the way, that song we just sang, uh, And Can It Be, a favorite song of mine that Charles Wesley wrote. We're going to sing in just a moment in the closing hymn. Uh, you don't have to turn there right now. But... Uh, it also has become one of my favorites through the years. It's not near as old as Charles Wesley's old hymn, but it was only written in 1981, but it's called Here I Am, Lord. And I'm going to have us sing it all together in just a moment. But I'm going to share with you one verse. I'm going to talk about God's call on our life, and I'm about to read from Isaiah, a text that you've heard me quote often during God's call on my life, from Isaiah the sixth chapter. But I want you to think about God's call on your life. And... Uh, some of you have asked me to sing, and so I'm fixing to. But you know, the old saying is, let preachers preach and singers sing. But uh, my timing is not real good. I love to sing, but I didn't want to put our musicians at risk of me trying to keep up with them or them trying to keep up with me. So I'm going to sing this a cappella. It is the second verse, and it is based on Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Verse 8, where God said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. The interesting thing about the author who wrote this, Dan Shute, as I think is how you pronounce his name, is that all three verses, there's only three verses, but it's written from God's perspective. And then the refrain is us responding to the call. So these are God's words, and I want to share with you the second verse. I, the Lord, have snow and I have borne my people's pain. I have wept for love of them. They turn away. I will break their hearts of stone. Give them hearts for love alone. I will speak my word to them. Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord. If you lead me, I will hold your people in my heart. This morning I want you to remember two words. Call and conviction. Call and conviction. Um, 
if you answer his call and if we are Christians, if we say, I want to be a child of God, I want to be a son or daughter of the Most High God, you, you then have a call on your life of, of some sort. It may not be in full-time ministry, but we all have a call on our life. If we owned in the name of Jesus, if we want to declare I am a Christian, then your call may be to witness to your neighbor across the street. It may be to send a card through carrying angels, which many of you do. That's, that's a call. You're responding to the, to the love of God in your heart. But all along with that, I believe there needs to be a conviction. And that conviction is, is that the Bible is God-breathed. Because if you do not have a conviction that the Bible is authored by God, then what will be your standard of truth as you obey his call? Everybody has some form of standard of truth. A lot of times people just make it up. Whatever truth I believe, then that's truth. But you, you see the problem with that in a society and a community, there's just chaos when that happens. So I believe in, it's extremely important along with that call, whatever it may be, that you have a conviction that God's word is truth, that it is what it says it is. So those are the two things I'd like to emphasize. I want to go back to Isaiah's call. He had a conviction. In fact, he had been preaching already in the first five chapters. He'd been warning everybody up and down the street, war you that do this and that. But what happens here is he gets in the presence of a holy God, and that's what happens with us. When we get in the presence of a holy, righteous God, we stop warring everybody else, and we say, woe is me. So this is what Isaiah did. And then God gave him a call on his life and said, go speak my word to my people. So this is Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe's me, for I'm undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Also, I heard. Isaiah said also, I, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And and who will go for us? It's plural because of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Who can I get to go? It's Isaiah, that famous line in the song that's written about it. He said, here I am, send me. I shared earlier in the 3D this week, the devotion, that this scripture above that I just read, Isaiah 6, it's part of the reason that I came to Gadsden First United Methodist Church. And I say that because of this and this testimony. I know some of you have heard me share it before. But 30 years ago, this June, in fact, it was the night of June the 26th. I remember the night well. 
June the 26, 1988, I said out loud the phrase, Here am I, send me. I'd gone to church over here at Christ Central. Pastor George Creel was a pastor. I had been wrestling with saying finally, yes, God, I'll do what you've asked me to do. I don't want to. I got a perfectly great job, a wife and two small kids, and, and uh, I begged God to please get anybody but me. But on that night when I came home from church, I don't remember what the sermon was or anything. I just knew that that was going to be the night. And so I, our home that we owned there in Southside at the time, sun was going down. I begged God one more time, you know, let me see written in the clouds. Yes, Harvey, I am calling you. I wanted to see it up there. Never saw it. But I laid down in the grass, and I can still smell the grass to this day. Put my face to the ground, and I said out loud, here I am, send me. Uh, It sealed my surrender to God's call on my life that night. Lana and I both said yes to God, and our pastoral journey began. First place was Altoona, Alabama. Then we went to Huntsville to Latham Memorial. I was there with Gary Ward, senior pastor. And then from there, we went to Crossville. We first were called and told we were going to Sullivan, Alabama. You can't get there from here. It's way over on the Mississippi line. We drove over there just to show the kids this is where we're going to live. And we thought for two weeks we were going to Sullivan. And then the Gary Formby called the district superintendent and said, Nope, you're not going to Sullivan. Uh, you're going to stay there in Huntsville? Yes, sir. Two weeks later, said, no, now you're moving, you're going to Crossville. So our journey, our path took us to Crossville, Alabama. Then we ended up in a place called Hoax Bluff. It's near around here somewhere. Y'all have heard of it. So we ended up in Hoax Bluff. And uh, then I got a phone call late one night about 9.30. thought I was staying at Hoax Bluff. And Lana and I were sitting there watching TV. It was about 9.35. And usually when you get a call that late, somebody's in the ER or something's going on. So Lana said, who is that? And I looked and I said, it's Robin Scott, who is our district superintendent. She said, this can't be good. (laughs) So I talked to Robin. He said, you're meeting with the bishop and the whole cabinet in the morning. They're going to interview you at 930. And uh, didn't still know for the next three days where we were going, but I got a call and uh, said, you're going to Gadsden First United Methodist Church. I'm so glad that I got that call. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. And now I'm going to Lester Memorial. All that started back 30 years ago when I said, here I am, send me. And so I say this to you that I realize the word tells us that there are some who are called into full-time ministry, but most are not. It says in Ephesians 4:11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So all of us are in ministry for the work of ministry. And y'all have some wonderful ministry here at this church because you said, I'm right here, God. Send me. If you need me to help on Friday, you need me to be a usher and a greeter I'm right here that's what I'll do if I need to operate the sound board God I have experience there send me there's so many ways that God calls us that question from God though was not just for Isaiah 
I've studied that passage a lot through the years, and I've heard others say this. You'll notice when he overheard him, when he got in the presence of God, it doesn't say, Isaiah, could I get you to go for us? It's just a general question that I believe is still coming from the Spirit of God. As he calls us in our walk, in our journey, he's still asking the same question. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? He's just waiting for us to respond. It may be something this afternoon that God wants you to do. It may be a phone call you need to make. It may be somebody you go pray with. He's just waiting for us to say, I'm right here. I'm here, Lord. Send me. I'll go. Now, let me change gears just a little bit because a part of that calling, I believe, needs to have a conviction. So a part of God's call includes, I believe, a conviction that the Word of God is, in fact, the Word of God. It is or it isn't, and I, I, I can't bring this conviction to you. I can tell you it is my conviction. I had that conviction before God called me, but I also prayed over that before I was going to stand in a pulpit and preach and give an account for everything that I say. That's kind of scary before God. But you have a conviction of God's Word. 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 17 says this. Now, this is Paul writing to young Timothy, a preacher. Now, this is his last letter that Paul wrote. He was in prison. That's the one where he, toward the end of the chapter, he said, my departure is at hand. Those are dying words. So we know that this is his last letter. What do you write to a young preacher? One of the things was this, 2 Timothy 3, and that from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, and all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus said this in John 8 when he came here on the earth. Uh, he said these words, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So that's a powerful statement. We know that God is love, but we also know that God is truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And so we need truth. We need the truth of the gospel. We need truth in our lives. Well, Jesus is truth. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. J.D. Walt is a pastor. He calls himself a farmer, a poet, a theologian, a jurist, and a publisher. And he is the publisher. He is Seedbed Publishing Company's sower-in-chief. He writes a devotion that I get, and I, this one was two or three months back, but I, I kept this statement that he made, and this is what he said. He was talking about the Word of God, and so from J.D. Walt. It is never compassionate to compromise the truth. It's a deep statement. It is never compassionate to compromise the truth. He goes on to say, in fairness, though, our commitment is not to the truth of the truth as though the truth needs us to establish its authority, but for the sake of the power of the truth. The truth asks only for our faith that it may demonstrate and defend its own authority. I know those are a lot of big words. I have a conviction that, that God wrote this 
I, I can't make you have that conviction. You have to get with God and decide it for yourself. But you see, all of us will operate in some realm of truth that we take upon ourselves. But it's danger for us to just decide on ourselves what truth is. We need established truth. We need to know the person who is truth. It's never compassionate to compromise truth. Mark Twain said it this way, because I realized J.D. Walt, that's pretty deep. You're thinking deep thoughts right now. Here you go. This is Mark Twain. He said this, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand that bother me. That's good theology too. Give you a little bit of trivia, a little bit of Bible facts. Do you know what the last word in the Bible is? Amen. So be it. Amen. All of that that he said, amen. That's the last word. I don't know where these, I got them off the internet and everything's true on the internet. That's not true. About 50 Bibles are sold every minute. The Bible is the world's best-selling book. It is also the world's most shoplifted book. Psalms 118, verse 8, is the middle. Count all the verses, and somebody did all this. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't work on that this week. So I'm trusting that Psalms 118, verse 8, is at the center of the Bible. It's the middle verse of all of it. This is what it says. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Billy Graham wrote this. He wrote a lot of things about the Bible, but I, I found this. Billy Graham wrote, the Bible down through the years has been ridiculed, it's been burned, it's been refuted, it's been destroyed, but yet it lives on. It is the anvil that has worn out many hammers. Most books are born, they live for a few short years, and then go the way of all the earth, and they're forgotten, but not the Bible. The Bible is preserved. It lives on. And the reason we know that is because what Jesus said, I read it earlier in the words of grace. Here it is again, Matthew 24, 25. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus also told us in John 6, 63, he said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. That's why... We can hear the 23rd Psalm a thousand times. And Ken and I had the funeral of Sydney this week, and I stood there and my eyes got moist. Ken read the 23rd Psalm at a graveside. But I never get tired of hearing it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why is that? Because it's spirit and it's life to us. That's why it touches us. Hebrews 4.12 says this, for the word of God is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what a two-edged sword is, don't you? It means it's got sharp on this side and sharp on this side. Well, I'm smart, aren't I? It's got two edges. But when it goes in, it cuts. And, I, and I've used these, and the Bible doesn't say these are two words, but, but I, just my own personal life, a lot of times I read it, and it cuts and brings so much comfort. Sometimes it cuts and it brings conviction. 
it brings them to a place of repentance. That's how powerful it is. So it's two-edged sword, piercing even the divisions of soul and spirit. That's powerful. And of the joints and of marrow. And get this, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is. You and I could testify to that. You've read it sometimes along with God and you read it. And it got down inside soul and spirit. It even messed with your intentions and your thoughts and touched you and guided you. That's how powerful it is. Oh, it's one thing for us to say, here I am, Lord, send me. That's a start. God, here I am, send me. But I also want to remind you, you need a conviction that God's word is God's word. Romans 10.10 says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All of us here who claim Jesus Christ as Savior and the Lord, you believe the report. Isaiah said, who hath believed our report? We have. We believe the report that he is the Son of God. That I've not seen him, but yet I believe. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You believe that. Faith cometh by hearing. You need a call. You need a conviction. I pray that your call will be led by a deep conviction that the Word of God is, in fact, the Word of God. I heard a voice. Whom shall I send who will go for us? I believe God's waiting for us to respond and just say, here I am, send me. Our closing hymn is Here I Am, Lord. It's hymn number 593. We'll sing all three verses. Hymn number 593.
again for being here this day, and y'all know that we've got a meal, and uh, appreciate if you turn in a reservation, that'll help them out. I don't know any full instructions other than let's go eat. I will have the prayer here in just a moment, but uh, we'll go down this hallway, and I'm sure somebody, I know a lot of ladies left to give instructions, and so they'll guide you in just a moment, and uh, get up here. Yes, my lady. You do? What's her name? Hey, Heather Green, how you doing? Good. I'm glad you're here. I'm Pastor Harvey. Good to meet you. Let's fire in and let's pray together. God, we love you so much today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your joy. And thank you, God, for your call on our lives. And thank you, God, for your word. Let us go forth and live into that call and live into that conviction of your word to truth. We love you today. Bless the meal that we're about to partake of. I thank you, God. Men of the well and all the ladies have come and prepared and celebrated and put things together. And I thank you, God, for all the love behind it. And I ask you to bless our fellowship and our time together. For we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.